You're listening to Marcus Sahaba Online Radio Podcast. When I started in politics, in order to get a political message onto what was then two television stations, or through several hostile editors of billionaire-owned newspapers, we had to sit at a typewriter, remember them, and punch through a skin on that typewriter, then put that skin on a cylinder of ink, anyone know what ink is? And then turn a handle and produce pieces of paper and cut that paper into four, then go out onto the street and hand it to surprised, sometimes bemused passers-by to convey a political message. I've now lived through what is an entirely revolutionary age whereby there are hundreds of television stations, including this one, putting out a view which the powerful and the wealthy in the world don't want people to see, and on social media itself, a revolutionary transformation. I myself have one and a half million followers on social media. I can send them a message, and I do. Apologies if you're fed up. Every day, all day, whenever I please. And that social media revolution has shaken uh, the power of those that once had monopoly ownership of the means of distribution of ideas. However, they have begun to fight back. They have begun through their now monopoly ownership of social media platforms to censor people of inconvenient points of view, close down some of these hundreds of new alternative television stations using their power over satellites and over regulators to try and choke back on this new revolutionary era. In the United States, whole operations with hundreds of thousands of followers are routinely closed down. On Twitter, individuals of inconvenient cast of mind are easily censored. For someone like me, with such a huge audience, that is not yet a problem, because it would be too controversial to try and close me down. But the, it might come, of course, to that. Perhaps when you get big enough, the incentive to close you down uh, becomes all the more powerful. So, social media, friend or foe, social media a revolutionary tool in the hands of the masses all over the world, or just a fleeting moment of time in which, for a limited period, the people were free. I'm joined by an audience of distinguished experts and one or two enthusiastic amateurs like me. My first guest is the Dean of Arab Journalism. I call him the last Arab. Of course, He's not actually the last, but if, la Allah, it ever comes to there being a last Arab, it will be him. He used to be the editor of a newspaper, you know, the things they used to cut trees down for, which made him the best-known Arab journalist in the world. Not a crowded field, 
uh, actually, in, if you consider the situation in many of the Arab countries. But now he's online and his audience is bigger than ever. He is, of course, the legendary Abdelbari Atwan. Welcome, Abdelbari, to the stage. Uh, you started out in print, like me. Now you're a social media giant. Describe for us what that transformation was like, good and bad, and what, if anything, you fear for the future of that media. Thank you, George. Uh, we know each other for years, fighting, demonstrating, and actually... More than 40 years, I'm sorry <laughs> to tell you. No, no, when you were three years of age, that's why. <laughs> uh, it is a very, very difficult journey. Uh, I was always actually dedicated to the traditional media, to the printed media, uh, but uh, after a lot of struggle, a lot of suffering because of the pressure of the people you refer to, those people who don't want us to express our point of view, I came to this country looking for the freedom of expression, and I can see the ceiling now is lower and lower and lower. So I thought maybe, you know, I can take refuge to the social media. I thought maybe the social media will be the freer or the best in order to get rid of this censorship you have mentioned. But unfortunately, I noticed recently that we were actually naive. Uh, I believe now the social media actually infiltrated and it is actually censored to the way of alarming way. Yeah, they want to suffocate us. If you notice recently, George, uh, many activists, Palestinian activists, Islamic activists in particular, they were actually black out completely from the social media because the, the superpowers or the super actually rich or the super capitalists, they don't want them to express, to express their views. The magic words for those people is Israel, Hezbollah, freedom of expression, uh, you know, freedom fighters. For me, I, I was shocked recently. I have an, on the same social media, on the Facebook, a page, more than a million. I'm not activist at the Facebook. Suddenly blackout, suddenly suspended. And another one, which was personal one, again suspended and blacked out. Wow. So why I have oh, millions you said, you know, if you have millions of followers or, you know, a huge amount of followers, you know, maybe they will stay away from you. Once I asked, the first warning came to me simply because I wrote an article about Hezbollah and Hassan Nasrallah. And they said, you know, this was in 19, uh, sorry, 2015. And they said, you know, recently we noticed that you are actually breaking the rules of the Facebook, so we have to omit this, and then the suspension of my pages, and it never came back. Oh, really? Seriously. So I, I feel that we are targeted. So I wasn't surprised when the Guardian, uh, in an investigative report last week, said that, you know, they are, there are pages used for spread hate campaign against Muslims and against, you know, uh, third world people and against dignitaries also like Elhan Omar, like uh, 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 Jeremy Corbyn, 
Amani, when you named it, uh, Rashida Taleb, also another Congress uh, member. So it seems now situation is changed. The scene is changed. Even they closed President Assad of Syria uh, page on the Facebook simply because he, you know he criticized the right television station in Italy because they did not uh, uh, screen uh, an interview which conducted with him. I think now the time when we thought that the social media would be alternative to the traditional media, I think it is passing. They're closing now uh, pages. Once, you know, it was a ridiculous. They said we closed, closed Benjamin Netanyahu page. It was for one day in order to cover what they are doing to our pages. So I wouldn't be surprised if more of people like you, George, like me, you know, they will be blacked out completely from the social media because they don't want our opinion to be to reach its destination i have two two point one million followers on twitter it is frightening for them why i should have two and two point one million on twitter who who i am in their eyes you know i am my name maybe is not the mayor it doesn't mean anything for them it means muslims it means arabs it means even you know highly educated person uh, Okay, I used to lecture on most of universities in this country, in the United States, in Europe, blackout. Suddenly, I am not invited. Even in the media here, ITV, uh, Channel 4, BBC, everywhere. I used to be like, like actually, uh, what you call it, uh, and, and everywhere, literally, if you open the fridge, you will find Barry Atwanda. <laughs> so now it's, you know, suddenly, simply because I am criticizing the United States, if you criticize the United States, if you criticize the United States policies, if you criticize Israel, if you mention or analyze what Hassan Nasrallah is saying, for example, of Hezbollah, you are an enemy. This is, this is the story. I believe I wouldn't be surprised if more you know, accounts closed in the social media. I, I wouldn't be surprised if actually more victims like me and like others who are going to suffer. Uh, we have to look for a different media. We have to look for different social media. I hope the Chinese will come out with something different as a parallel to this. I hope the Russian coming with another social media so we can actually find at least a safer place for the time being until you know the end of our life i hope so i pray for that simply because we have enough uh, seriously the social media which has a huge repetition we are actually saying completely different one we shouldn't actually bank mm. on that because mm. time is actually changing thank you very much thank you very much i was uh, unaware of the extent of censorship of you uh, which for which I approach myself because I don't read Arabic and I'm not following what's happening to Arabic speakers and Arabic writers closely enough you're a social media expert sir um, what can be done can Russia China others launch their own platforms I mean, it seems to me obvious that they can. It's really just a blackboard. It's about attracting people to that blackboard. Is this a fundamental existential problem or is it one that can be resolved? Uh, my name is Sharan Malik. I'm uh, a cybersecurity and network expert. Um, the first point we've got to really understand is that when social media really kicked off in the early 2000s, it was a platform that was mostly designed as a free-for-all 
and people were contributing and it was designed for people in universities to communicate with one another facebook being an example then as it grew over a longer period of time into um, you know and it went plc public limited companies then people who couldn't control social media were able to buy into social media for example good gentleman here spoke about twitter do you know who the, the second biggest shareholder in twitter is is it facebook it's the saudi royal family oh walid bin talal is the second biggest shareholder in twitter and conveniently he bought his shares in 2011 and everyone here knows what happened in 2011 the arab spring and the driver for the arab spring and people getting together was twitter at the time not facebook now another important question is it's not only suppressing free speech there are alternatives what social media has started doing now and over the past 4 years is actually designing your opinion they are creating opinion now so what you might deem to be free speech that you put out on social media is actually not free speech they have made you think that way read the details about what uh, cambridge analytica used to do right that is far more dangerous they they use really complex algorithms designed to pick out words keywords right that are meant to affect you as an individual so it's all targeted so that's one point and very slow all these servers reside in the united states where they analyze content they look at videos that are there they look at pictures that you put up with geolocation experts say is they're able to build your psychometric profile up to 95% accuracy so they know who you are as an individual what your habits are right what you're likely to do if you are told to do something what is your reaction going to be when you're asked to do something and i will give one example which should shock people in 2014 there was an attack on a school in pakistan very close to where my family comes from 132 children were slaughtered so i put up out two poems on my facebook page um it was a very sad time for everyone concerned what i noticed straight away was the advertisement that i was receiving on facebook changed so there were more children in all the advertisement that i was receiving even if it was for buying mobile phones or covers for mobile phones it had pictures of children because they knew that impacted me as an individual more and that's what they did with the trump campaign and that's exactly what they did with the brexit campaign they targeted individuals with this now russia and china might come up with these platforms right china already has this because china But not in english not in english in chinese it's very easy for them to come out in english as well but the point is they've already put precautions in place to suppress dissent that's already there they already have it so even if they come out with it it's not that they're going to allow for free speech it will be a competition america will allow accounts that are against russia to say what they like and russia is going to do the same thing 
you know, you might be able to say one thing on one platform, but not the same thing on the other platform. And now the other problem is the use of mobile phone. Mobile phones give away your life to not only social media platforms, but the service providers, the uh, people that you use to connect out to the internet. They know exactly what you're doing. They know exactly where you are, right? And they know exactly what you're trying to do. So the concept of big data, data mining, is designed to do this. It's designed to make a profile of your life and then sell that information to advertisers, to companies. They say on average, data mining increases net revenue by 65 million. And at the moment, because there's so much of it, only 0.5% of that data is being used today. So just a trip to the shopping center is tracked. When you connect to the free Wi-Fi there, right? You're tracked. Nothing's free. Nothing's free, right? That data, so straight away, when you connect to that free Wi-Fi, the shopping center, or people who control the shopping center, they, enter, they know what type of mobile phone you have. They know that straight away. So they know, they can pretty much guess how much disposable income you have. So as you move through the shopping center where you spend most of your time, then they can build that profile of yours and, and sell that to companies so they can use these social media platforms to then advertise very targeted, very specific adverts to you as an individual. You know, per personally, I have no problem uh, with any of that. I'm advertised to by all kinds of medium. I'm more concerned about censorship of political opinion. And that, in a sense, is far more pernicious than, you know, a bookstore or a clothes store knowing you're in the building, isn't it? It's all related. So when they have your profile, that profile also tells them what your political leanings are, hmm. what you're likely to say on social media. Based on that, they're going to censor it, but why are some accounts censored and others left open? For example, let's, let's go back to March of last year, uh, this year, when the attack happened in, on two mosques in New Zealand. This guy had been saying this on social media. He was threatening to attack mosques. He broadcast that live on his Facebook but Facebook wasn't able to pick that up. Now, to me, you know, somebody who is in the industry, right, their excuses were just that. They were excuses. There was a deliberate attempt not to close that account down, not to warn the authorities that this guy might do this. All the excuses they gave were baseless. Because if you do, did it, if you did something like that, they would close your account tomorrow. Why wasn't his account closed? Mm -hmm. Very good uh, and interesting uh, point. Uh, uh, there's not a lot of time left in this uh, segment, so I'll bring you back in later. But let me infer that you're not a radical uh, sort of fellow. Uh, I know you well. You're an interesting and, uh, and uh, unpre unpredictable one. You don't take, you know, set lines. I hope I'm independent, George. Even someone like you worry about this trend? I am, and I'm just going to make the point, because I think the really key point is that social media isn't free. 
They're mining our data. They're computers in the Arizona desert or wherever they may be who know more about us than we do. And it's also not free in the sense of self-expression. Now, George, you and I are friends. We're politically very different, but we've both experienced society's control over free speech and free thought. Now, this has taken very direct, um, very direct effect on me recently. For example, on Facebook, my Facebook page was closed down, and I wasn't happy. I was just normal journalistic comment, um, but someone somewhere didn't like it. And I did know someone who knew someone who worked at Facebook, and I managed to get my page put up with an apology. And if anyone goes to Michael Yardley on Facebook, they will see the apology, which is a very rare thing, from Facebook, saying the material had been taken down in error. Now, more recently, I had a poll up on Brexit, on Twitter. As I watched, something like 12,500 people had voted in it. As I watched, 10,000 plus votes disappeared from my Twitter poll. Luckily, I took a screenshot as this was happening with a time code. Then that poll went down from, let's say, 12,500 votes to 897 votes on the same Twitter time code as I was watching. I have had dozens of cases of tweets that appear to have been removed with this material is no longer available. Sometimes I've been able to get back to them, but it's very disturbing. Dozens of people have messaged to me saying that they've had problems accessing my material. This is a daily reality, and the real problem is that both Facebook and Twitter do not tell us what their procedures and protocols are. This is all done at a covert level. It's secretly done without explanation. When the 10,000 votes disappeared from my poll, no explanation at all. I just happened to be watching, and I just happened to take a picture of it. And if people go to my Twitter account tonight, I will put that data up again so you can see it for yourselves. The, uh, now that we know that the... One of the Saudi royal family is the biggest, uh, second biggest, did you say, shareholder in Twitter. That will explain a lot of things to a lot of people. I myself did not know that. Do you think the owners are actually demanding that their staff police people like you, people like Mr. Atwan, people like me? Uh, or is this the staff trying to be, if you'll forgive the pun, more royal than the king? I'm not sure. I, I put a lot of intellectual effort into thinking about the BBC recently. And to me, the BBC has become the church as it was in the Middle Ages. It has become a political entity of sorts in its own right. So it's trying to, you know, it's accruing all of this power to itself, and then it can do whatever it wants to do. So it's about being powerful. I would guess, George, it's the same with social media, that they are just trying to become powerful because as they become more powerful they become more valuable and when you look at anything in modern life i'm afraid it's usually one way or another driven by money but for intellectuals and people with political views like you and me that are a little bit different perhaps to the mainstream it is critical in a free society that people like us can keep expressing ourselves without hindrance much more of this coming up in the now, uh, the, the Second Amendment in the US, the right to keep and bear arms, we hear far less about the First Amendment, which is all about free speech. And yes, I tend to agree, we could almost do with the First Amendment here. I, th I still think we do have free speech in the UK, and I'm passionate about preserving it, but there are more and more constraints upon it. Legal constraints, 
the constraints of libel, all sorts of other stuff that's come in, particularly in the last couple of decades. And it is a problem. You can't really say what you feel. Even political correctness is a restraint on speech. This is self-censorship, yes. isn't it? Um, but it is a problem that what people Francis do not Baker feel free the to... That flies you know, in the night. They think twice before speaking now. Yes. That's a bad sign in any yes. society. Yes. And I think we've got to move away from that. And I think that people do want to be free, but they also are manipulated. And as we've seen with the social media, people are manipulated to an unbelievable extent now. Facebook and other social media companies have done experiments, depending on what they put in your feed, what they put in the ads, to manipulate you at a psychological level, either to buy something or to make a political decision. This is really impacting on our democracy, and we are not taking enough notice yet. Uh, James, uh, you don't even know what a typewriter is, never mind a stencil or a drum full of ink. Um, <laughs> You are the perfect example of the millennial used to and adept in uh, uh, social media. Do you feel any of these kind of pressures? Absolutely. So I stood in the recent general election and as is common in modern political campaigning, social media advertising forms a part of that. And uh, it's not just the, the, the big names with loads of followers that are being censored. It's... Uh, even people like myself on a minuscule level. So uh, I'll give you an example. I wanted to uh, boost a post on Facebook. So I put an advertisement out within a certain area. And uh, the topic was actually about a rubbish bin that was along our uh, shopping centre and on the high street that was just not being emptied. And uh, Facebook refused to allow it to be uh, shared more widely. Uh, on the grounds that... Even though you were ready to pay for it? Even though I was willing to pay for it. Yeah, yeah, I was willing to put £15 into uh, sharing this with a wider audience. And they said, no, you can't. If you want to share this on a wider level with us, we want to see your passport, we want to see two utility bills, and then we'd like to know why you want to share it with a wider area, which just seemed absolutely ridiculous. And then what follows on from that is after saying, right, OK... Here's my passport. Here's my utility bills. Very begrudgingly, I might add. Uh, they then turned around and said, OK, it will now take us three days to determine whether or not your post meets our community guidelines. And so just as you were saying back in the old days, you know, you'd have to write out, typewrite a press release, send it off to the editor. And if this billionaire editor didn't like what you had to say, then they wouldn't publish it in the paper. Well, just as that happened years ago today, if you want to write something on Facebook and Facebook doesn't like what you have to say, they can turn around and say, no, you don't meet our code of conduct. Or, you know, just as in the old days, you don't meet our uh, editorial viewpoints. Well, We're not going to publish it. Orwellian control. <laughs> it absolutely it is. is. Uh, yeah. And uh, it's just uh, absolutely ludicrous. And it absolutely is uh, censorship of free speech. It's, it's, it's absolutely mad. Let's hear from the, the young gentleman here. How is, uh, how is social media for you? Oh, hi, my name is Hussein. Um, so I'm an avid social media user. I've got, I've got Twitter, I've got Instagram, YouTube, Snapchat, you name it. Um, and I think um, there's definitely a growth 
in the use of social media, but I don't think it's as much as we would like to believe, um, especially in the UK where we saw with the recent general election. What a very good um, point. And you know what? Um, when you're on social media, it's a bubble. It's a, it's a totally different world to when you actually go outside and you actually have a conversation with people. So I went canvassing for the Labour Party and when I was on social media, I was thinking, you know what? There might be a chance, there might be a chance. And then you go out there, you talk to people and there's completely different opinions and what they think uh, because you think to yourself, wow, there's so many left-wing people here, there's so many Corbyn supporters here, but that's not the case at all. And we need to get rid of that mindset because at the moment we're thinking um, social media has a lot of influence on us, but how are we choosing to react to the platforms? How are we choosing to react to the ads that we're being targeted by? How are we choosing to be influenced by these things in the first place? So we have the actual choice to not have a victim mentality and say, you know what, as much as we're targeted by these ads, we have the choice to refuse these ads. We have the choice to be refused, to be targeted by these things, you know, and I think it's so important. Media is a bubble, an echo chamber, and the British general election is the best possible example of that. If you had uh, followed social media on election day, uh, you thought there were long queues at all the polling stations. But of course, that was only in one or two, I could even name them, uh, London, middle-class, prosperous, pro-EU constituencies. In the polling places in the rain in the Midlands, there were no queues at all. And whilst on social media you felt that Jeremy Corbyn was storming to a youth quake victory, out in the country, of course, it was precisely the reverse. So that is an additional factor into this debate. Perhaps we're paying too much attention to social media. Perhaps we're allowing social media to confirm our pre-existing viewpoints and prejudices. Abdul Barry. I'm just going to say on, on route, I was monitoring social media all the way through the election and it gave me a completely false picture of what was happening. I saw, saw all those cues that you saw, I saw all the stuff that was coming out on the Huff Post, for example, and I got completely the wrong idea of what was actually happening in reality. Yeah, uh, to be honest, uh, I, I got the same impression like you, George, here. I thought maybe people will be influenced by the social media. But it seems, you know, there are a curtain here. There is a blockage. If the certain point of views are not allowed to reach its destination. I, I know in my, you know my website, my online newspaper, uh, sometimes my articles, my editorials is completely blocked. It's not allowed to reach the people. Is that everywhere in the world or as it used to be with your paper in certain countries, uh, they simply didn't allow it to yeah, enter? It is worse, George. For example, okay, uh, now, uh, for, for one of my editorials, for example, used to gain 180,000 readers. Suddenly, suddenly it is curtailed to 4,000. How, how it comes, you know, to have 180,000 and suddenly only 4,000. 4, it means there are people behind the scenes saying this point of view should not reach its destination. You're the expert now. Tell us how that is actually done. How do they achieve that? Okay, so, the, um, right, without getting too technical, I'll try and explain it simply. You know, you have your address at home. 
The same way when you connect to the internet, you have an address. When you register a website, that website has, uh, so when you type in xyz.com, it actually translates to what we call an IP address, something looking like 213.154.1.3. Now those IP addresses are regionalized. So it is an organization called IANA that is responsible for allocating those IP addresses per region. They can't be uh, allocated in another region. So they, they are all unique. So through the wizardry of the internet, anybody sitting anywhere else knows exactly where that information has come from. So those IP addresses are then allocated to regional service providers and service providers then in turn give it to individuals. So the way they do it is in some countries they will restrict content based on the source IP address. So if I'm trying to access his website, for example, the government in, within the UK can restrict what I can access on that website based on where I'm coming from. That's why you see a lot of adverts for VPNs, for example. So what they do is they give you access, secure access to other countries where when you browse the internet, you're not actually presenting a UK IP address, you could be presenting a Thai IP address. So on the Thai IP address, that content might be allowed. <coughs> so it's, internet itself can be very restrictive if the people behind the scenes want it to be. Mm. Very so, interesting. I didn't know that. Joshua? Uh, yeah, I was going to say that um, in, in relation to what this uh, gentleman at the front row said, that, uh, you know, like, p people sort of surround themselves in, you know, like-minded opinions. They can't tolerate a different one. Now, of course, you know, you have to, there is a, there is a, you know, a, a sort of, like, a yardstick for that. Like, you know, obviously if someone's trying to spread hatred, incite hatred, or say something really, really deeply repugnant and offensive, then it's best to either unfollow them or block them. Maybe report them if you're that concerned about their sort of activities. But, you know, some people just cannot disagree on, and so nowhere is this more evident on social media. You know, I got into an argument with someone about Brexit, and of course, you know, naturally, they, you know, uh, they they got annoyed, a bit wound up. I wasn't trying to wind them up. I was just, you know, countering what they said, disagreeing with what they said, and they blocked me. You know, it just goes to show that social media really does wrap some people up in a, a bubble. And, I've, and, you know, politics is definitely, you know, one of those uh, contexts of it. The reason why it restricts free speech on a sort of intrapersonal psychological level is because it, 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 we want to be bombarded with only what we agree with and what we want to see in the way mm. we want to see mm. it. And unfortunately, I think social media users, for all the censorship and all the manipulation that the media has meted out to us, I do think that we largely, partly, partly not... not predominantly but uh, at least partially have ourselves to blame for our own uh, lack of open-mindedness and our sort of you know our sensitivities and we've got to remember that you know I always say that opinions are only the way you want to see things the important thing is to be able to back up that opinion and unfortunately social media far from facilitating that uh, to, to, to an extent it has it has it has actually done the opposite so yeah Fatima You've been a transient critic of many, maybe most, <laughs> uh, uh, regimes uh, in, the, in the Arab world. I suppose one could take the view, well, if I own a platform, why should I let you use my platform to blackguard me? 
set up your own uh, platform if you want to do that. In a way you have, haven't you? Because people read your newspaper online. Is even that interrupted by censorship? To be honest, George, I'm not surprised uh, because um, Saudi Arabia blocked my uh, online newspaper. Always. Always. And uh, actually, they launched a hate campaign against me. They have the so-called electronic army. Thousands of people are working that to tarnish the image of anybody who is actually uh, accusing or, uh, sorry, uh, criticizing the Saudi regime. But I don't believe uh, Walid bin Talal will actually uh, block my, uh, you know, site, whether in, on uh, Facebook or on Twitter, simply because he is in deep trouble. He is now, he was actually arrested. And stripped was, of, of was, most of his... He was hanged upside down. Exactly. Until his uh, ill-gotten gains fell out of his pocket and his own family stole it. Exactly. And he is not allowed to leave his, his country. He is under house arrest in a way or another. So he is in trouble. It's a big house. It is. <laughs> well, yeah, it is a paradise. Yeah. It's not like your house or mine. Who needs to leave it? But you know what, what amazed me, actually? What amazed me? It is United States, you mention it, George, which is supposed to be the leader of the free world. I know Obama personally. I met him in Chicago University when he was teaching there. You know what happened when I published my book, The Secret, uh, sorry, The uh, Islamic State, the Digital, Cap, uh, the Digital Caliphate, Islamic State, the Digital Caliphate, which was bestseller in this country and in the United States. I was invited by the publisher to have, or signed a contract, actually, to have a, a touring, uh, you know, uh, lecturing tours around the United States universities. Harvard, Columbia, Georgetown, Chicago, all of them, you know, and they, I was denied a visa. <laughs> Seriously, okay, I'm going to talk about the Islamic State, not about Palestinian issue, which is very sensitive for them. I wasn't, I wasn't given a visa. I'm still waiting for a visa for, for the last four years, and I don't think I will have it. Even so, though your book was a bestseller. It was a bestseller. The and author it was, was and, not allowed in to speak to it. You know, George, it was printed by Southern, uh, University of Southern California Press, which is the most prestigious or one of the most prestigious universities. If there is anything which is a hate campaign or something like that, if there is anything which is, you know, in, not scientific or not actually proper or not well researched, they, they wouldn't publish it. You know universities there, and you know we know universities in this country, and we know the editors. When you supply uh, yes, actually a draft of your book, they ask you for every details. So what my question is oh, to you, George, or to also the audience here, where shall we go? How can we express ourselves in a very scientific way, in a very proper way? You know, the social media now and the experts are saying that it is censored. And, you know, the governments are actually not all blocking our, our sites or our uh, newspaper, online newspaper. They are also tarnishing our image. The hate campaign against us. The social media saying that we are against the hate campaign. You know. So, but what about the hate campaign against us as as writers, as journalists, as uh, academic? This is this is the problem we are facing. To be honest, Saudi Arabia, actually United Arab Emirates, other Arab, wealthy Arab countries, they are investing 
They are helping these kind of companies. They are using it simply because they got the money. But the question, again, the question is why President um, Donald Trump having a dinner party for the, the, the owner of the Facebook why he is going why he is inviting him to the white the white house and having dinner with him to discuss what definitely censorship more censorship against us what are going to do to face this catastrophe i came to this country hoping that i will find the freedom of expression i can have you know a safe country to express my point of view i'm sorry to say that not anymore Yes, Alhamdulillah, we'll leave it at that and a very interesting topic indeed. Uh, look at the input uh, that has come through. I learned a few things about, uh, yeah, gagging the social media and uh, you may think, yes, uh, you have freedom there. You don't have freedom. Every second and every detail and whatever you say and uh, they get to know you better and better and each of your, your email address, they, you know, have already built up a, a, a you know, a portfolio on you. They know exactly your likes, your dislikes and, uh, you know, they even sell your uh, information or your preferences uh, to marketing uh, companies uh, you know who want to uh, target individuals like yourself and they know yeah no this individual is the right one for you and uh, you can uh, and you can send uh, your uh, you know advertisements to them or you can uh, send your appeals or your brochures to certain individuals and uh, we as muslims alhamdulillah should be very careful not to be captured or duped into this uh, social media frenzy it is a frenzy, and you can see, you know, it gives you <coughs> a, a, a meretricious lie that, you know, you, uh, you got it under control, you can do what you want to do. But, uh, you know, as one of those engineers, uh, they said, you are being subtly programmed what to write, what to like, and what to dislike. And only if you are <laughs> compatible, yeah, or you only, uh, you know, they, they, according to their standards, and if you go off their standards, you know what happens. So they, uh, they bar you, they ban you, and uh, they also go on a smear campaign against you. I want to thank, uh, thank Luca, Lucalo for doing a brilliant engineering uh, this evening. Uh, thank the listeners uh, for tuning in. Keep it locked on to Marcus Sahaba for beautiful programming and also a lot of knowledge coming through from the team. And I, till we meet you again, we bid you. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.